0: I'll invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We have been teaching a series for the last several weeks that we've been titled, The Spirit-Led Life. And we have um, spent a little bit of time over the last couple of weeks talking about the makeup of man, the fact that man is a spirit. And uh, we want to cover a little bit more of that territory this morning uh, and uh, then let the Holy Ghost take us where He wants us to go from there. So we'll use 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 as a beginning point this morning. Paul, speaking by the Spirit of God, said, "...and the very God of peace..." Thank God He's the God of peace. "...the very God of peace sanctify you or separate you wholly." Now, the word holy is not H-O-L-Y. It's W-H-O-L-L-Y. In other words, entirely, completely. So he says, "...the very God of peace..." Paul's prayer is, "...the very God of peace would sanctify us, cleanse us, separate us completely." What do you mean completely, Paul? And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned, we've talked a little bit over the last couple of weeks about uh, the makeup of man. We found that man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. Now, the, the world is in disagreement, has been for ever, I guess, about Who man is and how he's made up and, and so forth. And every now and then you'll find some new, um, psychological book come out about who are we and what's our purpose and why are we here and, and all this kind of stuff. And it really comes down to understanding, uh, it comes up for the Christian. It comes down to understanding how man is made. The Bible says in the beginning that God created man in his very image. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means man is separate, is made separate and apart and different from anything else God made. God uh, didn't make man to evolve from some amoeba or something that, you know, salamander or something that crawled up out of the ooze. Because that's not made in the image of God. Now, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, just as the Bible says God is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there are three parts to the Godhead. There are three parts to man's makeup. And those three parts are spirit, soul, and body. Now, many times in, in psychiatric circles and psychological circles, they'll talk about the soul of man, but they don't know what that is. Freud talked a lot about the soul of man, but he had no idea what it was. He just talked about something being down on the inside. And, and psychologists and psychiatrists will talk about the id and the ego and, and whatever all that's supposed to mean. Well, if you want to know what man's made like and how man is made, shouldn't we go to the one that made him? I mean, who's going to know better than God? God said that man is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. Now, the spirit and the soul are eternal. We looked a little bit, and I won't take time to to go back uh, through all this, but if you weren't with us, it might do you some good to to hear what was said before. But anyway, we went back into into Luke chapter 16 where Jesus told of of a, a certain situation. He said there was a certain rich man and a certain beggar. Both of them died, and both of them went to different places. It says that the beggar was in Abraham's bosom. That's what was known in the Old Testament as paradise. That's what Jesus was talking about to the the thief on the cross. And he says, I say unto you this day, you shall be with me in paradise. King James translates it that he'll be there that day. That's not what it says. He says, I say unto you today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Well, three days later, Jesus met him in paradise. So that's where the the beggar went. He went to Abraham's bosom, which was known as paradise. The rich man died and he was in hell. Now we see that their mental faculties were still intact. The rich man looked up and he saw Abraham and he saw Lazarus, the beggar that was in his bosom. Well, he recognized him. That's a part of the mental function, isn't it? You don't recognize people from your spirit; You recognize them from your intellect. He, his emotions were intact because he was tormented in this flame. He wanted Abraham to have Lazarus come and dip uh, the tip of his finger in water and come to cool his tongue because he was tormented in that flame. So his emotions are intact. He recognizes that he's being tormented. His will is intact because he identifies what he wants Abraham to have Lazarus do. So we see both the mind, the will, and the emotions, all three parts that make up the soul of man intact. So the soul has to be eternal then. Because both of these men's bodies were buried, yet their spirits, the real them, continue to live, and their mind, their will, and their emotions are still intact. So the soul makes up a part of the eternal part of man as well. Amen. Amen. So man is spirit, soul, and body. Now the Bible refers to the inner part of man in different ways. Turn with me over to First Peter chapter th- uh, three. Paul tells us something as he was writing to Christian wives and giving them instructions about uh, husband-wife relationships and so forth. He gives us some instruction that is uh, very helpful when we understand how the Holy Ghost refers to spiritual things. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter three, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter three. Talking to the wives, I think it's verse 3. He said, let it not be the outward adorning as in plaiting of hair and putting on of gold and wearing of apparel. In other words, he's saying, you Christian wives, don't put all your attention on the outward outward man. Don't put all your attention into fashion and clothes and jewelry and and that kind of stuff. He didn't say anything's wrong with it. He just said, don't give all your attention to that. He goes on in verse 4. He said, but let it be, in other words, let your attention be the hidden man of the heart the hidden man of the heart, even the adorning of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So what's he saying? He's saying there's a man on the inside that's hidden from the man on the outside. Now again, he's not saying, wives, it's wrong to, to you know give attention to hairstyles and, and dress and fashion and stuff like that. He's not saying that. He's just saying, as much attention as you give to the outward man, you shall to give at least that much attention to the inward man. Spiritual development should be first and foremost in our thinking and in our planning. That's all he's saying. But notice how he says it. He says the hidden man of the heart. And then he identifies what that heart is, even a meek and quiet spirit. So you see right away that the Holy Ghost is making, even in natural things, even in natural uh, lifestyle circumstances, husband-wife relationships and how we conduct ourselves with one another in the home. He shows how important it is to recognize the difference between the inner man and the outer man. The hidden man of the heart or the spirit part of man and the flesh. Folks, that should dominate everything that we do. It should be first and foremost in everything that we think. You should never, there should not be a moment of your day that you're not conscious of the fact that you're a spirit being. And the more you think like that, the more conscious you will be of spiritual things and the more susceptible you will be to the leading of the Holy Ghost. So many Christians fail to be led by the Holy Ghost, which the Bible says is their right, because they don't even consider that they're spirit beings. They're looking for circumstances to tell them what they ought to do. They're looking for what everybody else is doing, trying to follow the crowd in many cases. Well, that's not how you're led by the Holy Ghost. You're led by the Holy Ghost from the inward man, this hidden man of the heart. Now, it's interesting to me that he calls him the hidden man of the heart. The fact that he says that he's hidden tells us in contrast in the in in the context Of the inner man versus the outer man. He's telling us the inward man is hidden from the outward man. The spirit man is hidden from the flesh. That would have to mean that the spirit man is hidden from the five physical senses. You're never going to know God through your five physical senses. With the spirit, you contact God. That's the only way you can contact God is through the spirit. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus, he said, man must be born again. Why? Because unless man is born again, he can't have contact with God. Now, what's born again when we're born again? What's made new? The spirit. Your mind isn't made new. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Just get saved and fix a lot of people. Well, your body hadn't changed. You didn't get a new hair color or get hair back when you got saved. Your body doesn't change. Well, what changes then? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Well, who is? The mind, the will, and the emotions are not. The flesh is not. Those things don't become part of the new man or the new creature. What becomes new? The spirit of man. Jesus identifies this when he's talking to Nicodemus about being born again. He says that the spirit is that which is the unseen. He said, just like the wind blows, you can't see the wind blowing. You can just see the effect of it. He said, so is the spirit of man. It's the hidden man. It's the man that's invisible. It's your spirit that's made new, not your mind. It's an interesting thing that in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul tells the church, tells those whose spirits have been made new, those who have been made new creatures in Christ Jesus, he tells them to do something with their bodies and something with their minds. Which proves to us that the body and the mind are not affected by the new birth. So what are we to do? We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice and renew our minds to the word. Now, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter three. Paul speaks of the, the inward man or the spirit of man here in first in Thessalonians 523. He identifies and separates the parts, separates the pieces, spirit, soul and body. He starts from the inside of man and works to the outside. He starts with the most important and works his way out. Spirit, soul, and body. Not body, soul, and spirit. He starts with the spirit of man because that's the important part. That's the eternal part. Notice in Ephesians chapter three, Paul's praying for the church. He's praying in uh, verse 16 that we would be strengthened by the spirit in our inner man. Notice both Peter and Paul called him a man. Hidden man of the heart, inner man. Hidden man of the heart, He prays that we would be strengthened with might by his spirit and our inner man. Now, what does that mean? Notice verse 17. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, folks, he's writing this to people that are saved. Doesn't Jesus already live in their heart? Well, if they're born again, he'd have to. That's what it means when you get born again. You ask Jesus to come into your heart. That's what makes you a new creature. That's what makes you new, a new spirit man. Yet he says he's praying for the church, he's praying for Christians, people that have been born again, people that have even been filled with the Holy Ghost. He's praying that they would be strengthened with might by the Holy Spirit in their inner man and that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. And what's he saying? This inner man he's talking about is not just the spirit. Many times, and you have to look at the context of what's being said, many times, and and I think I make a mistake in this, I think other people do too, we have such a tendency to categorize things. Man's spirit, soul, and body. He is a spirit, has a soul, and lives in a body. So anytime the Bible says heart, we think instantly spirit, not soul, and body. And sometimes the heart means the spirit and soul together. And then other times we'll see where the Bible talks about the inner man or the hidden man of the heart, and we'll think, okay, that means the spirit, not the soul and the body. But sometimes the inner man is talking about the spirit and the soul together. That's what Paul's talking about here. The only way that somebody who's already born again can have Christ living in their heart by faith to a greater degree is to renew their mind to the word. He's talking about the renewing of the mind. He's talking about the renewing of the soul. That's what James talked about in James chapter 1 and verse 21. He said, receive with meekness the engrafted words, which is able to save your souls. Well, he's writing to Christians. Aren't their souls saved? No, their spirits have been made new, but their souls still need to be renewed to the word. Their mind, their will, and their emotions need to be renewed to the word. Now look with me over to, um, well, let's start in Romans chapter 7. Paul, in Romans chapter 7, is talking about the conflict he's having between the inward man and the outward man. So we see that the spirit is referred to as the heart. We see that the spirit is referred to as the inner man. We see uh, uh, that the the, uh, spirit is also referred to as the inward man. Romans chapter 7, verse 22, Paul's talking about the struggle that he's having with his body. I'm sure glad Paul had some trouble. That's encouraging to me. He learned how to overcome his body. And he's teaching us how to as well. But he talks about the conflict. He says there's a war going on between my flesh and the real me. I, the man on the inside, wants to do the right thing, but the flesh wants to do the wrong thing. And sometimes the flesh is pulling me into things that the man on the inside resents. Have you ever had that experience? (laughs) Well, if not, it means you're yielding to your body full time. (laughs) Well, we understand what he's talking about there, don't we? What does he say? Notice Romans chapter 7, verse 22. He said, but I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Now, to the Ephesians, he wrote about the inner man. Peter wrote about the hidden man of the heart. Now Paul writes about the inward man. The inward man. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Paul talks about the same thing. He said, but though our outward man perishes. Well, do we know what that is. That's the flesh. Though our outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. He goes on in verse 18 and says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, subject to change, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, what's he saying? He's saying our inward man is renewed day by day. Again, we're going to have to look at the context of what he's talking about. Is he talking about the difference between spirit, soul, and body? Or is he talking about the spirit and soul together as contrasted with the body? Well, if he's talking about the renewing of the inward man, how is your spirit man renewed? The Bible says it's complete in Christ. Your spirit, as opposed to your soul, can't be renewed. It's made perfect. The blood of Jesus satisfies the claims of of justice against the spirit. You've been given eternal life. You've been made righteous. You can't get more righteous than righteous. You can't renew in righteousness. Nowhere does the Bible say one word about growing in righteousness. Righteousness. Talks about growing in faith. Talks about growing in knowledge. Don't talk about growing in righteousness. Why? Because once you're righteous, that's it. And that's what Paul talks about understanding so that you can overcome your flesh. You've been made righteous. Your body may be wanting to do the wrong thing and may even pull you into wrong activity. But you have been made righteous. You, the person on the inside, the man on the inside, has been made righteous. The spirit has been made new. It's been made perfect. It's been made complete. But your mind, your will, and your emotions hadn't figured that out yet, has it? That's what needs to be renewed. So when he talks about the inward man is renewed day by day, he's talking about the spirit and the soul together, joining up together to be renewed to the word. Folks, you need to understand the fact that man is a three-part being. Any two can join up against any one. The one that has the majority, the side that has the majority, the two versus the one is the one that's going to win. When your flesh does things that are contrary to the word, what that means is your flesh, your body has, t- has teamed up with your soul to operate contrary against your spirit. But when you do what the Bible says, that means your spirit has joined and teamed up together with your soul to oppose your flesh. The soul's always the swing boat. It's always the swing boat. That's why it's so important to renew your mind to the word. Because it's going to be voting many, many times every day. Many times every day. Now look with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul talks about this uh, same concept in a different context. And and every time Paul talks about things that, that relate to this, he's not specifically identifying the difference between spirit and body or spirit and soul and body or things like that. He just uses this as a part of his everyday life. Which again shows us that that should be our attitude towards spiritual things too. You should never get away from the fact that you are a spirit being. You are an eternal being. Things here are just temporary. Everything you're worried about here on the earth is subject to change. Everything that you're tempted by the devil to worry about here on the earth is subject to change. And as a result, since it is temporal, it is less important than the spiritual things that never change. So what should we focus on? Well, that's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Why we look not at the things which are seen. Don't get so bothered about things that are seen. You know, there's a saying in the world, don't sweat the small stuff. Basically, everything that you see here on the earth is small stuff. It would help you to think like that. Yeah, but some of the small stuff sure is a nuisance. (laughs) Amen to that. But it is subject to change. There's not one thing that's bothering you or attacking you or diff- that, you're, that you're having difficulty with here on the earth that can't be changed by eternal things. Not one thing. Physical, financial, social. Not one thing that can't be changed by eternal things. Not one thing that can't be changed by the word. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Notice verse 14. Paul said, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. Actually, that's verse 15, isn't it? Verse 14 is the one I want you to see. He says, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. Now notice how Paul talks about I and my spirit. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. So who is the I? I? The eye has to be his spirit. He's saying when I pray, it's my spirit praying. When I pray in an unknown tongue, it's my spirit praying. Now look look at the contrast. But my understanding is unfruitful. Verse 15, what is it then? I will pray. I will, I will, I will. The man on the inside. I will pray with the spirit. And I will also pray with the understanding. In other words, he said, there are times that I'll pray in the language that I understand. For me, it's English, at least sometimes. By that, I mean I sometimes understand English. When I pray in English, I understand what I'm saying because my mind's involved. My understanding is hooked up with my prayer. But when I pray with other tongues, my mind doesn't have anything to do with it. It's coming straight from my heart. Jesus said in John chapter 7, speaking of this experience, he said... uh, uh, that the the spirit of God in us would be like rivers of living water coming out of our belly. Now the King James uses the word belly, another translation uses the innermost being. In other words, he's talking about your spirit. So when you speak with other tongues, it's coming from your spirit, and this is where the Holy Ghost lives. He lives on the inside. He doesn't live in your head. Now this is one of the greatest hindrances that it, that any and every person will ever encounter when it comes to being led by the Holy Ghost and finding the will of God for their lives. Your head is used to being in charge. And you're pretty impressed with your own thinking. That's why you listen to you more than you listen to anybody else. You can have 12 people tell you you look good in something, and you look at yourself in the mirror and think, this, I look fat. This makes me look fat. You listen to you 10 times more than you listen to anybody else. And you talk to yourself all day long. You pretend you don't. But you do. I've been in the car, talking to myself in the car, and notice somebody's watching me, and I look over like I'm talking to a little kid in the seat. (laughs) Ever done that? It works great. People looking over, they go, oh, okay. No, it's the way we're made, folks. God wants you to talk to yourself, but he wants you to say the right things. When you're saying things in line with the word, that puts the right things on the inside of you you're adding to yourself spiritually. When you're selling yourself the wrong things, you're adding to yourself the things of the world which are in contrast to and conflict with, conflict with your spirit. So notice what Paul says. Paul says, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. It should not be the easiest thing for a spirit-filled Christian to identify their spirit from their understanding and, their, and from their body. Because all you have to do is speak in tongues. You know immediately that's not coming from your head. Now, like I said, this is the greatest hindrance for people being filled with the Holy Ghost. Because you can minister the Holy Ghost to them, lay hands on them, the Holy Ghost will come on them, and they will refuse. In some cases, people will refuse to speak because it's not coming through their mind first. You've got to learn to shut your mind off to certain things, certain spiritual things. So Paul says, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. It's my spirit that's praying when the tongues are coming out of my mouth. Well, how's that supernatural? If Paul's saying he's doing the speaking in tongues, where's the supernatural part? The supernatural part is the utterance. The supernatural part is the what that's being said. That doesn't come from you. That comes from the Holy Ghost. This is exactly what Acts 2.4 means when it says, and they were all filled with the Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues. Who did the speaking with other tongues? They did. As the Spirit gave them utterance. The supernatural part is the what's being said in tongues, not who's doing the talking. I'm doing the talking. I know when I was first filled with the Holy Ghost, didn't have any instruction, didn't know much about what I was doing at all, just prayed to be, to, uh, to receive and to be filled with, uh, the Holy Spirit by my bedside. And, uh, so I did and, and I spoke with some, some things. I said some things that I didn't understand. There was no feeling associated with it. There was no emotion associated with it. It just, you know, I just, okay, this is what people do. So I just started doing it. And as soon as I did that for a few seconds, there was this voice that came to my mind. And that voice says, that's not the Holy Ghost, that's just you. Well, I bought into that. I agreed. I said, well, yeah, that's true. I don't know who's talking to me, but yeah, that's true. This isn't the Holy Ghost, this is just me. Well, it never was supposed to be the Holy Ghost, folks. You are the one that speaks in other tongues. And when I got a little bit of instruction, I realized that the devil held me back for several weeks. That was the devil that came to my mind. Folks, the devil doesn't live in your head. At least he's not supposed to. There are voices that come to your mind. The devil speaks to your mind. He doesn't live in your mind. And the Holy Ghost doesn't live in your mind either. So Paul said, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. But my understanding... Is unfruitful. So he's saying that the speaking with tongues comes from the inside, the inward man, the inner man, the hidden man of the heart. Whichever one you want to use, they're all scriptural terms. He says these things are coming from the inner man, the spirit of man, and it's not coming through your head. That's why when you when you're speaking in tongues, you can go about your business, you can carry on uh, uh, different business activities. I know that um, uh, there was. Uh, well, before we started the church, we were still traveling, doing some uh, ministry in, in the, uh, the United States and in overseas. And we were up in um, the northeastern part of the country, up in upstate New York. And we were in a Methodist church. And um, I didn't really expect Methodists to be open to the Holy Spirit. So before we got there, I wasn't really planning to say a whole lot about it. didn't want to create controversy or conflict or problem for the pastor. We got there, and they had advertised our meeting as times of refreshing from the Lord. I thought, well, not much choice in it now, is there? I don't know if they know what that means, but we're going to have to let them have the truth. So we wound up having a revival. We wound up getting a lot of people filled with the Holy Ghost. And one night, it was, a, it was the funniest thing. You know, sometimes the Holy Ghost will lead you to do things you don't even know you're doing them. There was a, uh, it was a smaller auditorium than what we have here. And, and there was an altar rail, real pretty altar rail, had a little cushion thing on top of it, you know, where you come and you kneel down on it and you can kind of lean on it with your, with your, uh, elbows. Make it real comfortable when you pray, you know. And so anyway, there was a. I uh, I was on the platform and there were people on the, on the pews and, um, uh, and nobody'd sit up front. It was, it was like, you know, the splash zone with shamu or something. <laughs> you you know, didn't want to be close, and so I'd come off the platform. I, I mean, I was isolated. I was as far away from people as as halfway back in the auditorium, and and you know the the crowd was pretty well full from that point back. But I felt like I was you know isolated, and so I'd come off the platform. I'd come stand down on the floor and walk and you know get as close to the people as I could and and uh, and teach and and that kind of stuff. And uh, so anyway, there was uh, uh, at the end of the service first night, or the first time that we went this direction. I didn't start it on the first day. I was, I was afraid to. And the Lord really dealt with me on the second day and I thought, all right, well, I'm going to have to tell them, you know, what the Bible really means about times of refreshing. So I started talking about the Holy Ghost a lot. And at the end of the service, I gave people an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, nobody wanted to move. I mean, nobody wanted to move. And so I was down on the floor and I was talking about certain things and I sat down on this altar rail. Well, I had no idea this was the sacred rail. I had no idea. I mean, here I am putting my rear end on their most holy place. I remember hearing a collective gasp through the church, but I, I didn't think anything about it. I didn't know what it was. So anyway, I'm sitting on their altar rail, and and, and the look on the face, I noticed everybody's look changed. I mean, everybody's going you know, like this. They paid lots of money. They raised money especially for that altar rail, and I'm, I mean, that represented God to them. I thought it was just a comfortable place to sit. I didn't know. So anyway, I'm sitting on their altar rail, and I start telling people. I said, now, when you speak with other tongues, it comes from your spirit. It doesn't come from your mind. I said, for example, you know as well as I do that there is no way in the world that you could speak in English and think one thing and say another because you've got to think about the words that come out of your mouth. And I gave them the example. You could be thinking about, you know, do this. Count one to ten in your mind. And when I say so, say your name. Well, I did so, and everybody said their name. And I said, what happened to your count? Well, everybody said, well, you, you can't count and talk at the same time. Why? Because it's coming through your mind. And so I said, well, that's the way it works with the Holy Spirit. It works just the opposite of that, that way with tongues. When you speak with other tongues, you can be speaking from the inside of you, the inner man, the spirit of man, and you can carry on things in your mind. You can You can count. You can do all kinds of things. Well, I couldn't get anybody to come up front. I couldn't get anybody to to uh, uh, to to come to receive the Holy Ghost. Everybody was too afraid to move. So, I, but I knew that I was supposed to minister to the Holy Ghost. So I just said, "Well, all right." And if somebody did, here's how we would do it. And I, I came to realize later that the testimony later on was that there were you know ten or fifteen people back in the auditorium that wouldn't have moved, but they were doing what I was t- telling them to do from where they were. And so anyway, one guy came up the next day and he said, uh, "He said, you know, he said, uh, that that counting in your head while you're speaking in tongues, he said, that really works. He said, I work as the general manager down at the Chevrolet dealership here in town. And he said, I was speaking in tongues in my office all day long, just carry on and, and doing the ad machine and doing, doing the, the deals and stuff like that. he said, it never affected my speaking in tongues. Well, I gave that testimony and didn't tell who said it or all the details for anybody to know who it was because nobody wanted to be outed. In this Methodist church, but I told enough for people to get it, and from that point on, then then little by little people started coming. We wound up getting all almost every one of the leaders in the church and many of the other folks filled with the Holy Ghost because we explained the difference between something coming from your spirit and something coming from your mind. That's what Paul's saying. Now, are you still there in, Rome, in uh, one Corinthians chapter fourteen? Notice Paul says, "For if I verse fourteen again, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays." but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I, the man on the inside, I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. Now notice verse 18. He said, for I speak with tongues more than you all. Who does this talking in tongues? I do. The man on the inside. The man on the inside. I'm the one that does it. That's what Paul is saying. He's making a differentiation between the inner man, the eternal man, And the outer man or the flesh. It doesn't come through your flesh. Now, as I said, this is one of the greatest hindrances to spiritual things. Look with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me show you why this verse is true. I'm sure you're familiar with this verse, but let me show you why it's true. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he, because these things are spiritually discerned. Now, who's the natural man? Well, we know that's the flesh. Certainly, that's the flesh. But you don't perceive the Spirit of God through your flesh anyway. You don't even try. Nobody sticks your hand out and says, let's see if I can feel God. Now the natural man that he's talking about is the unrenewed mind teamed up with the flesh. Remember, it's always going to be two against one, one way or the other. Spirit, soul, and body. It's your soul that's the swing boat. He's saying the unrenewed mind, the natural thinking mind, can't understand the things of the Spirit of God. Now, folks, one of the reasons that the Lord really wanted me to teach this series is because there's a huge difference between living as a Christian with knowledge of the word and living from your spirit. Let me say that again. There's a huge difference between living as a Christian with knowledge of the word and living from your spirit. Huge difference. And it all comes down to which side your mind teams up with. Your mind as the the dominant part of your soul. Which way do you team up your soul or your mind with? Either spirit or flesh. Which way is it going to go? Paul says that your mind, the default setting on your mind. We understand default settings with computers and stuff like that. The default setting on your mind is the way that the world thinks. In other words, the default setting on your mind is swinging toward the flesh. That's why it takes effort. On the part of the individual, it takes an act of their will to renew their mind back to spiritual things through the word of God. So you need to realize that if you are if you have not or are not doing the work to renew your mind to the spirit of God or to renew your mind to the word of God, to spiritual things, the default setting is you're operating as a natural man. Paul talked about this to the Corinthians and he said, quit being like mere men. Quit being like mere men. Why? Because the default setting for your mind is natural things. It's the thinking of the world. The thinking of the world which is governed by the spirit of the world, which is dominated by the God of this world, which is the devil. So whether you want to admit this or not, the church by and large that is not putting in or has not put in the effort to renew their mind to the word of God is operating as the devil's agent. They're saved. They're on their way to heaven. Their spirits have been made new. But because of wrong thinking, wrong meaning contrary to the word, wrong thinking, maybe common thinking, maybe the common way that everybody else works, but because it's contrary to the word of God, here's the natural man that can't receive the things of the spirit of God. Now, if you're operating that way, how much are you going to be led by the Holy Ghost? Zero. You may stumble upon a couple of things, by the mercy of God, but by and large, you're not going to be led by the Holy Ghost in any manner. And so many times Christians say, take the position that, well, when I get to heaven, I've got a lot of questions to ask God. Well, I'm sure he's got a few for you. Like, why didn't you renew your mind to the word like the Bible sent to? Like, why didn't you learn about spiritual things? Because it was right there all the time. Like, why you weren't transformed by the renewing of your mind from the way the world operates? Why did you go along with the crowd? And so many times the church is blaming God. Here's the whole sovereignty of God issue. I don't know why God let this happen to me. I don't know why God let this poor Christian, good, sincere, love God Christian, die sick. Because they didn't renew their mind to the word. Specifically the word of God concerning healing. Folks, it's not rocket science. God made it simple enough for me to understand But it's the mind, it's the natural mind. And that's the natural man he's talking about. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. In other words, the unrenewed mind doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. We know that's certainly the case with the unsaved. The unsaved don't receive the things of the Spirit of God. Those things are foolishness unto him. But unless the Christian renews their mind to the Word, there's the, the spiritual things are going to be foolishness to him too. And how much of the church world is living like that? A big percentage. Big percentage. This is where spiritual people that are operating by the word, by and large, this is where the criticism comes from in the church. Christians who are thinking naturally. I remember um, hearing uh, something that Smith Wigglesworth, well, actually, it was George Stormont that told me the story. George Stormont was a, a man, a minister that, uh, uh, well, when we had him, he was in his 80s. This was back in uh mid-90s, I guess, been 10 or 15 years ago almost now. Anyway, we came became acquainted with a gentleman that uh, knew Smith Wigglesworth when he was a young minister. When Brother Stormont was a young minister, Brother Wigglesworth was in his mid-80s. Uh, Wigglesworth called Stormont the Benjamin of his old age. Benjamin was the last of Jacob's sons and really dear to his heart. Well, this was the kind of relationship that Wigglesworth had with Stormont. Well, when uh, when I became acquainted with him, I wanted to just suck the life out of Brother Stormont. I wanted to know everything I could find out about Wigglesworth. And, um, uh, and and we became good friends, had him out to the church several times before he went home to be with the Lord. And and, um, and he said something to me that, that I, it didn't so much affect me at the time, but, boy, I can't tell you how many times I've thought about that since then. He said this. He said, you know, Wigglesworth was very misunderstood. Now, Wigglesworth was a guy that raised 20-some-odd people from the dead in his ministry. I mean, he had miracles of faith and miracles of healing, and and, and I mean, it was phenomenal. And as a result, his, his renown was worldwide. I mean, everybody knew about this guy. Well, he was just a plumber. He was an uneducated man. He was just a plumber in England that the Holy Ghost got a hold of, and, and God started doing some miraculous things through but he said Wigglesworth was very misunderstood he said when the holy ghost would come on wigglesworth he said now this is not the way that he would be normally he said he was a very loving man he said he was very principled and so he wouldn't put up with with stuff that he knew was wrong but he said he was a very loving person he said but the holy ghost would come on him and he'd get real rough with people There were, and he told me a little bit about it, but I've heard stories about how Wigglesworth would be on a platform and somebody would come up to be prayed for for healing. And in the middle of praying for him, he stopped and he said, I prayed for you last night, didn't I? And the guy said, yeah. He said, well, what are you doing back? And he said, well, I didn't get anything. Wigglesworth turned him around, kicked him in the seat of the pants and ran him off the platform. (laughs) He said, don't come back until you're smart enough to realize you got something. Well, people didn't understand that faith says it's mine no matter whether the circumstances say so or not. Well, that didn't sit real well with everybody, you know. And there was a time that Brother Stormont told me about that he went to uh, to minister to a uh, to a guy who was in a certain town in in England, and uh, the pastor asked him if he would go visit somebody in their home that was sick, and and this guy was a prominent person in town and uh, that type of thing. So he went and. Anywhere Anyway, um, Wigglesworth got there and and uh, got real rough with the guy. Here, the guy is is, is in a sick bed, and um, and and he was trying to really run a game on God. The sick guy was, you know, I'll I'll buy this for the church. I'll do this, that, and the other. Well, Wigglesworth, Spirit of God came on him. Brother Stormont said, and and Brother Stormont was with him on this occasion. He said, Spirit of God came on him, and he said he just got real rough with him. He said he picked this guy up out of the bed, and threw him back down on there. And and told him that uh, that what he was doing was was of the devil and this kind of stuff. Just got real rough with him and left. Well, it shook that guy into the reality of what he was doing. The guy wound up getting healed some days later before Wills was even left town. But anyway, he said uh, Brother Stormit said that uh, that when they left and and Brother Stormit said i have seen him do some really really rough things. He said, but that one shocked me. He said, so I'm, I'm just kind of stunned, you know. He said, we went back out and, um, got in the, uh, the pastor's carriage. And he said, Wigglesworth wept all the way back to the, to the parsonage. He said, he wept all the way back and he said, Lord, I, I don't know why you make me deal with that with people. I don't know why you'd have me deal with people like that. He said, you know, I don't want to. He said, I'll obey you and I'll do anything to obey you. He said, but I, I, I just don't understand why you have me deal with people like that. So see, it wasn't him. It was something the Holy Ghost came upon him with. Well, people that don't live out of their spirit, people that fail to renew their minds of the word, don't recognize the Holy Ghost at work in things. They just judge things by their natural mind. They just judge things by, here's why I think it's supposed to be, here's how I believe it should be, and therefore they wind up opposing God, thinking they're operating righteously. That's where you get most of the criticism. That's where the Holy Ghost gets most of the criticism from the work that he does. People that are operating as natural men. Because the natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. You're going to have to learn to set your mind aside and judge things by your heart and by the Word. Judge things from a spiritual standpoint and from the Word instead of just the way you think it ought to be. And see, people that do that, this is where people get argumentative in the church. When they fail to live out of their heart, they're just living according to their unrenewed mind. Now, they may, their mind may be knowledgeable about the Bible. But, folks, there's a difference in knowing the Bible and being renewed in spirit to it. There's a difference in having a renewed mind and just having knowledge of the Word. I can show you people with lots of degrees behind their name, and they wouldn't know the Holy Ghost if you walked into the room wearing a red hat. There's just no, there's no fellowship there. There's no recognition of spiritual things. There may be knowledge. They may have filled their minds with knowledge. But there's a difference in spiritual knowledge. That's why Paul prayed for the church that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. In other words, that their spiritual eyes would be opened, Because you can see things with your natural eyes and never see it spiritually. How many of you have ever been reading the word and all of a sudden something opened up and it's like, whoa, I never saw that before. Well, what happened? Your spiritual eyes were opened. You had knowledge of it, mental knowledge of it. And here's the difference between mental knowledge or mental assent and faith. You can have mental knowledge or even agree mentally that the word is true, but unless you see it from the inside, it's not going to be real to you. And this is where people get argumentative. This is where you get conflicts in the church. See, if people are living from the spirit, you're not going to have any conflict. That doesn't mean you're going to agree on everything, but you don't have conflict over it. But the conflict comes from, no, here's what I think, here's what I believe is right, and so we're going to do it my way or else. Well, that doesn't work real well where relationships are concerned, and Christianity is all about a relationship with God and other people. So that's where you get, that's where you get argumentative about things. You can be full of knowledge, And not have any recognition of the Holy Ghost whatsoever. You can be full of knowledge and not be spiritual, not have a lick of spirituality about you. That's why it comes down to renewing your mind. That means being willing to set aside your thinking and accept what the Bible says. Accept what the Bible says. Now look with me over to Romans chapter 8. Paul has just concluded talking in Romans chapter 7 about the conflict that his spirit has with his flesh. He says, I delight after the law of God in the the inward man. I want to do right from my spirit, but I catch myself doing the wrong thing from my heart. What's the answer for that? Well, two things. Number one, he starts off in chapter 8 and verse 1. He says he comes to the understanding that there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Yeah, but Pastor Micah says the last part of that verse says who walk not after the spirit but after the flesh. That's not in the original translation, folks. You look, it's very easy to identify. You can study it in in any number of ways. You can get an interlinear Bible. You'll find out that that phrase belongs to verse 4. Now, why did the translators put it up in verse 1 when the phrase is not there? Literally, the words, who walked after the Spirit and not after the flesh, are not in verse 1. Why did the translators put it that way? Well, the best answer I've got for you, and this is just a speculation, nobody really knows for sure. The best answer I can give you is it must have blown their minds. Because what Paul is saying is even though you catch yourself doing wrong actions, behaving contrary to the word, that doesn't mean that God's against you. Well, how could that be true? If you've got a works mentality, how in the world could that possibly be true? Well, there's only one thing that could make that true, and that is if you've been made new spiritually. And there's a difference between the man on the inside that's been made new that's eternal and the flesh which leads you into wrong action and sinful behavior. Yeah, Pastor Mike, is Paul saying that that God's not against us if we sin? That's exactly what he's saying. And it's that knowledge that brings you to the place where you can overcome your flesh. Because if you go through your life like most of the church does, trying to get God to be on your side by not doing wrong, How are you ever going to find the power to not do wrong? But in fact, the Bible says it's just the other way around, except that God's not against you because of the blood of Jesus, not because of what you do or don't do. And therefore, he's on your side. He's equipped you with the Holy Ghost. He's given you the power to overcome your flesh. You can do it even if you've never done it before. That's part of what's saying, what part of Paul is saying here. That's where he's saying the real victory in life, the Christian life is. God's on your side. He's looking at your heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Most of the church thinks God's looking at our actions, our behavior in life, and he's determining whether he's going to be for us or against us. Not so. He's already for you because he's made you new in Christ. I got saved a couple of days before my seventh birthday in 1962, the end of November in 1962. So I'm uh, what uh, almost two months, uh, fifty years and two months saved. Man, that fifty years is gone in a blink. Anyway, um, not one time in those fifty years have I ever doubted my salvation. Not one time. The Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter five and verse seventeen, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. I said things. There was something that happened to me on the day I got saved. Now, folks, I didn't have some sinful past to overcome. six years old. I spent about ten days, or maybe less, in darkness because the Spirit of God had witnessed in my heart that I needed to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I needed to do something. I needed to accept Him. Now, My mom had me in church. I knew all about Jesus, had heard Bible stories, grown up in Sunday school kind of stuff. But now it came time that I needed to make a decision for Jesus myself, and I thought that meant I had to go to the front of the church, and so it scared me and I wouldn't do it. And the light went out on me. Inside, spiritually. I remember as well as, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember that spiritual light going out. Spiritual death took me over. That's why it's so easy for me to, to, to assume, (laughs) rightly I think, what happened to Adam and Eve when they fell. I remember the moment, the instant that it happened. The light went out on the inside of me. Well, I spent several days like that, fearful. And I'm not sure exactly how it happened. I don't know if my mom noticed something was wrong, so she started asking me questions, or I went to her. I don't remember what the circumstances were about that. But after several days of that, I went to my mom, told her what was going on. She said, oh, Mike, you don't have to go down to the throne of the church. She said, we can just kneel down right here and pray. Thank God I had a mom that knew how to get saved. So we did, and man, something happened. Just like the light went out a few days before, the light came back on, and I said a bunch of stuff. My mom wrote things down. I, I, I guess she still. Where are you, mom? You're here somewhere, aren't you? Oh, there you are, second row. I don't look at the second row. I look beyond the second row. That's why. You used to have a, a card. You still got that card? The stuff that I said. I said things like, you know, I'm all light on the inside, and if Jesus is is a king, that makes me a prince. And I'm, I just said a bunch of stuff, stuff that I wouldn't know at six years old. I said a bunch of stuff. I knew something happened on the inside of me. I've never doubted that. I, I can't relate to people that doubt whether or not they're really born again. I don't know what that's like. I knew something happened. I knew something changed. Now, I've spent a few days wondering if I was worth God having saved me. But now I've never doubted that he did. Never. Well, folks, we need to understand that's part of how we are supposed to understand and know the inward witness. See, I take everything that the Lord witnesses to my heart now and I compare it back to then. I knew that I knew that I knew. How did I know? I couldn't look on the inside of me, although it felt like I was. Although it felt like I was looking down on the inside of me and saw something happen, that's not really what happened. It was just an inward witness. That's what Paul says is part of the victory here. Romans chapter 8, notice verse 14. He says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Isn't it interesting that he talks about having an understanding of being made righteous, no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and then talks about being led by the Holy Ghost? I've found the people that are most effectively led by the Holy Ghost have a great understanding of their righteousness and vice versa. People that don't understand their righteousness, they have a real hard time ever figuring out if this is the will of God for my life. Is God really talking to me about this? Is God really leading me in this area or telling me to do that? Because those are connected. Now, how's he going to lead us? Verse 16, the spirit himself. King James says itself, but the Holy Ghost is not an it. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. That means the number one way that the Holy Ghost is going to lead you is by this inward witness. Sometimes we call it an inward knowing. Some people try to make a distinction between those two, and I'm not sure there really is. Sometimes you're more confident in what you know than other times, but I think it's all the same inward knowing. At least it always has been for me. But see, I knew something happened. I knew something changed. Now you couldn't look at me on the outside and tell the difference. I, I, again, I don't remember how many days it was. I'm going to guess that it was maybe five days. Couldn't have been any more than seven or eight, I do to guess. But I'm going to guess it was five days that I was spiritually dead. Those were the most miserable five days of my life. Because I knew I was lost. I was knew though. I knew there was no hope. In that present condition. And I didn't know anything to do about it. Until I talked to my mom. We knelt down and asked Jesus into my heart. Then things changed. And from that point forward, I've always known that he was there. I've always talked to him. Some of my friends had imaginary friends. I didn't. I just talked to Jesus. And son of a gun, he talked back. Who knew? Well, see, I didn't, I didn't know to expect otherwise. I didn't have a lot of teaching and training about God doesn't speak to you and man can't hear from God and all that kind of stuff. So Jesus always talked to me and it was always a common thing. I talked to him, he talked to me. Well, he still does, but he talks in a different way now. He talks by the inward witness. He speaks by the inward witness. Everything that I can point to that's been successful in my life has been based on the inward witness. Everything I've ever messed up on for the most part, I can identify where I violated that inward witness and did what I wanted to do anyway. I wound up going to Bible school off an inward witness. We wound up taking my dad out to Tulsa, Oklahoma. My dad had cancer. Doctors had given up on him. There wasn't anything else they could do for him. He had lung cancer and they'd removed so much of his lung you can't take. After a certain point, you can't take anymore and still be alive. And they had taken all that they could, and it was still there and spreading more and and progressing. And so he finally gave God a chance. <laughs> Folks, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. I, you know, I've had people say, well, Pastor Mike, you're just hard. You you just demand that people believe. You just demand that people have faith. And, and if, if they don't, then they're just going to have to die and, and, and stuff. Well, first of all, I never say things like that, but that's what sometimes people's perception is. But that's what happened with my dad. Don't think I haven't had his hit home. That's exactly what happened to my dad. My dad refused, maybe through ignorance, but refused to do what the Bible says to receive his healing, and so he didn't. And he died at 47 years of age. Is that right? 47, 46. Huh? 48? He was 48 when he died? I had no idea how young 48 was. (laughs) My goodness. I was about 25 when he died, and... I thought, well, at least he lived a good long life. (laughs) Dear Lord, what was I thinking? (laughs) 48 years of age. So, see, I've had this at home. And so many times people seem to have the idea that, well, God in his mercy should just make it happen. Folks, God in his mercy gave you the pattern so that it could. God in his mercy gave you his word so that if you renew your mind to the word, you can have the benefit and the blessing of healing. People get late in the game and say, well, I've never done what I should have done. Now I want God to make up the difference. That doesn't always work. Didn't work with him. Well, we took him out to Brother Hagin's place in uh, in Tulsa. Took him out to healing school, and I got around some of those Raymond students. It wasn't even anything that Brother Hagin said. I'd heard Brother Hagin on tapes and, and even been to a uh, couple of his uh, crusades, different places. But I got around those Raymond students. I, I looked at Brother Hagin, and I heard what he said, and I thought, well, I could never attain to that. Why would even want to. God hadn't called me to preach at that point in time. So, you know, I just thought, wow, here's somebody that God uses, but what is that to me? But I got around those Ramah students. I got around people who had been renewing their mind to the Word. I got around people who had been taught in the Word of God and were applying it in their lives. And I saw that I'm equal with them, but they've got something I don't have. I noticed that immediately, just walking around the place, talking to people I recognized instantly. They've got something I don't have. Now I'd been saved since I was almost, since I was six years old. I'd spent five days. At that point I was 25 years old. I'd spent five days of my life unsaved. Yet they've got something I don't have. My first thought is how'd they get it? I realized since everybody I ran into there seemed to have it, they must be getting it there. I'm pretty smart. So I just simply decided. Now, folks, I didn't know beans about the inward witness. If you'd asked me, was God leading you to do something? I wouldn't. What does that mean? I have no idea. I grew up in a Baptist church. You think they talk about God leading you? Only time they ever felt led was out in the back of the smoking pit. It's where they had church board meetings. All the deacons were back there smoking. Bless their hearts. I didn't know anything about being led by the Holy Ghost. If you had questioned me about being led by the Spirit, I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't have had a clue. But looking back at it now, what seemed to me to be a natural decision, they've got something I don't have, I like what I see in them, I'll come here to get it too. Now I can see that was the inward witness. That was the Holy Ghost leading me. What would have caused me to want that? The inward witness. It was a desire on the inside. Now I had no clue about being in ministry. If you'd asked me, I'm glad I didn't have a clue. I filled out the application to go to Ramah. Back then, they wouldn't let you in unless you called to the ministry. They asked me, what are you called to the ministry for? And I thought, well, here's one of five things, you know, pastor, evangelist, uh, apostle, prophet, teacher, you know. I don't know what any of those are, really. I thought it would be real simple for me to just check one of those. I mean, how are they going to know? I just check one of those and get in. And I really struggled over this. I thought I don't. I'm not called any of those things, at least that I know of. That'd be a bad way to start off Bible school's lying on the application, wouldn't it? <laughs> so I left it blank. I just wrote out there and said I don't know. I thought, well, that's it for that, because they made a big deal. They only let people in that were called to the ministry. I said, I don't know. I thought that'd be it. And I got back an acceptance letter. And I thought, well, then God must have blinded their eyes. So they didn't see that. I don't know what happened on that. Everything that I can look at that's been a success, that's been an area of success in my life has been based on the inward witness. And that inward witness is sometimes stronger than others. Now, for me at that point, that was just a slight thing, just a slight thing. Well, I just want that. Well, what did I mean? I just wanted that. I don't know. It's just something on the inside wanted what they had. That was stronger when we came to start the church. A little bit. We were traveling. We'd stopped back in Tulsa. At that point in time, we'd bought, uh, we had uh, purchased a home in Tulsa, a little bitty place. And uh, we were back in town for in between some meetings, and, and I was um, uh, planning to do some other things. I think I was planning to play golf one day. And I was on my way to the golf course and uh, just decided, well, you know, I'm going to stop in to see some people at, uh, uh, at Kenneth Aiken Ministries, some folks that I'd worked with in the Crusade Department. And so I wound up stopping there, and he said, as a matter of just making a joke, about something that had happened. He said, Mike, I think God wants you to go out there and start a church. Now, we this is a joke we'd always make when we were driving through the desert somewhere and you see a little hut over there. And I'd say, Roy, I think God wants you to start a church right there. This was a joke. He had no intentions of it. There was no, uh, on his part, there was no leading of the Holy Ghost for anything. He's just making the joke. Folks, God can use a lot of things that we don't even know He's using. That's why we need to be spiritually sensitive to see what God's doing rather than just make our own judgments. And so he just made the joke. He said, and we were talking about uh, a situation out here where there had been a church and it had blown up. It was a mess. And so he, because it was such trouble and such a mess, he said, Mike, I think God wants you to go out there and pastor. Well, as soon as he said that, that's exactly what dropped down on the inside of me. I knew instantly that's what I was supposed to do. I knew instantly. Now, for the previous six months, I had known there was a change coming. And I tried to make the change. I tried to figure out what the change was, and I couldn't figure it out. I'd prayed about it, couldn't get an answer. I'd had other churches offered to me. Those weren't right. But as soon as he said that, I knew instantly what I was supposed to do. I have no idea what else he said. I stayed there for another, you know, 20 minutes maybe. I have no idea what he said from that point. Because at that moment, I'm thinking exactly what he said. I know that's what God has for me to do. I'm thinking, my goodness, that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. Well, what does that mean? Then your head starts going haywire on you. Well, how am I going to move to California? we just bought a house this is not the time to go went home said something to Beth same thing happened to her she didn't tell me about it until several days later and, and what I told her was the joke that the other fellow had made I said yeah he told me about such and such a church that we were scheduled to go into and in not to distant future he said man it's all blown up torn up the pastor left ran off with somebody or I don't know what the situation was it was just a mess he said it's such a mess he said Mike, I think God wants you to go out there and pastor. Well, when I said that, same thing dropped in her heart. She probably didn't hear anything else I said after that either because we didn't compare notes till several days, late, several days later when she told me. I didn't tell her it dropped in my heart. I just said, here's what he said. Same thing happened to her. Well, that was about in August, maybe the, at least late August, I think it was. What do you do? was it August? Is that right? It was in the summer sometime. I don't know. It was in the summer sometime. I'm not sure exactly when it was. Anyway, I immediately acted on it. I said, all right, well, if I'm going to go to California, I I need to cancel all these meetings. I've got scheduled. I canceled all these meetings. I said, all right, Lord, when do we go? And he said, not yet. (laughs) What do you mean? Not yet. I've canceled all my meetings. Nobody's sending me money only way we can pay our bills is offerings from meetings and stuff like that. I just canceled all those. What do you mean not yet? Maybe I should have prayed before I canceled. What do you think? (laughs) We were several months. Several months. Now I'm sitting at home. I got nothing to do. I am going berserk. Absolutely stir crazy. Absolutely crazy. I got nothing to do. There was one meeting that came in during that period of time after I'd canceled those meetings. That one meeting and the offering from that one meeting carried us for two months. We had 32 cents left over from after paying our bills. God in his mercy overcame my ignorance. So now I'm sitting there day after day after day. The bright spot of my day was Perry Mason at noon. This went on week after week after week. Beth said, when are we going? I said, I don't know. So I'm sitting there every noon watching Perry Mason on TV, <laughs> eating hot dogs for lunch. One day, one day, in about November, toward the middle of November, one day I sit down to watch Perry Mason turn on the TV, and the Lord said, now's the time to go. I had no idea God watched Perry Mason with me. <laughs> No clue until that day. She said, now it's time to go. Man, I got excited. I turned around and I told Beth she was going to the store. When she got home, I said, it's time to go. We're leaving tomorrow. She said, "Ah, ah, ah, I can't leave tomorrow. I said, all right, then we'll leave Monday. She said, I can't go that fast, Mike. I said, my God, we've been waiting for months. You can't go? What in the world? I said, all right, then when can you go? She said, Well, it's going to take me two weeks. That's all right. Two weeks from today, then we'll go. Well, two weeks from that day, we had our stuff packed up in a U Haul trailer and left. Every person that we had, every person that we worked with at the ministry, every person that we knew that knew anything about spiritual things, every one of them said, What in the world are you doing? I didn't know. I just had an inward witness. It's time to go. They'd, always, they'd all ask me, Well, where are you going to live when you get there? I don't know. We'll have to figure that out, I guess where are you going to start your church? I don't know. I figured that out too, I guess. We knew nothing. Folks, I'm not suggesting this is what somebody else ought to do. (laughs) I've had other people say, how do you start a church? I have no clue. I know what we did. But I wouldn't recommend anybody else doing that. But I knew that I knew that I knew. See, when you've got an inward witness, when you know there's something on the inside that's not you, then there's faith to operate on that. I hear other people talking about doing things like that, and I think, oh, dear God, they're going to fall flat on their face because I don't have what they might have. Now, some of them go and come back and have fallen flat on their face because they didn't really have it, and you can't give it to yourself. But because of what I knew, I had the faith to do it. See, faith always accompanies the word, and if God has spoken to you, Something, whether it's words that you hear, whether it's words written on the page. Or whether it's just an inward witness, that's still the voice of God. Those are still the words of God. And faith is always present to accompany that. You can always have faith to act on what God has told you to do, no matter how beyond you that may seem. And so that's when that's the way it worked. Same thing happened with our TV ministry, folks. God spoke to me about TV a long time ago, many years before we ever did anything. I told the staff, I said, one of these days we're going to have to go on TV. I said it in church a couple of times. Didn't say it much because I didn't want to do it. I don't talk about the things I don't want to do. But I did. I said a couple of things about it. One of these days we're going to have to go on TV. It's the only way to reach this area. And that's what God sent us here to do. Well, when are we going to do that? Some of the staff would get excited. Paul, bless his heart. He heard about TV. He got all excited. When are we going to go on TV? I said, I don't know. Well, maybe we should start preparing for it. He said, knock yourself out. (laughs) What do you do to prepare for it? And I said, I have no idea. I'm not going to go spend a lot of money on something I'm not ready for and that God hadn't told me to do. I don't care if I've missed it. It's fine with me if we never do it. Great. One night, one Sunday night, I'm standing over here, best leading worship on a healing school service. I'm not even sure. Maybe we weren't even doing healing school back then. I'm not even sure if we were yet. Sunday night service anyway. Praising God, minding my own business, not thinking about anything except my my message. Lord speaks to my heart. Not words, but that inward witness. Now it's time. Now it's time. Man, I wish I could give that to me when I wanted it. Well, we did it. Started in October of 2009. Eight. Sorry, eight. 2008. We got in just in time for the recession. (laughs) We start TV at at the exact time that the economy tanks. Perfect timing. Well, it is for God. See, sometimes God will have you do things in the most inopportune times from the natural mind. And it's worked like well, I hate to use the term. I almost said it worked like magic. I, I hate to use that term. It's worked supernaturally. We've never taken a special offering for it. God's always paid the bills. It represented the greatest increase in our expenses, church expenses, in the history of our church, including the building. Never had a lick of problems with it. Never will. The most successful things you'll ever do will be impressions. Impressions of the Holy Ghost and the inward witness. Now, maybe I ought to tell you about my failures. (laughs) We're out of time for that. (laughs) Let me just say this. Everything that I've ever really had failures about, I can always look back and say, you know, there was something about that that I wasn't settled on. There was something about that I knew I wasn't really supposed to do. But I went ahead anyway. See, folks, the inward witness will bring you into victory, but violating that inward witness will take you into defeat. We need to understand spiritual things. And see, the natural man can't understand that. The natural mind can't understand that. I've had people complain, say, well, Pastor Mike, if I started now, how long would it take me to renew my mind to the word? And my answer is always the same. One day less than if you start tomorrow. I don't know where you're at and I don't know where you need to, to be, but if you wait tomorrow, you're wasting time. Start now. Whenever now is for you. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Folks, if you look at things from God's perspective, it, like, I mean, look at things like the Bible's really true, you've got an unfair advantage over the world. You need to think like that. The world doesn't have a chance. If the world, if the unsaved is in competition with you, they have no con- they have no chance whatsoever because you've got the leading of the Holy Ghost that'll bring you into victory. And God wants you to succeed. He's always on your side. He wants you to walk in victory. No wonder Paul said to the Corinthians, "Quit living like mere men. Live supernaturally." Let's pray. Oh Father, thank you. What a privilege it is to be led by the Holy Ghost. What a privilege it is to renew our minds to the Word, to be shown the future, to learn the inward witness. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for the precious Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us into victory in every area of life, whatever we need. Thank you that the Holy Ghost leads us into healing. Thank you that the Holy Ghost leads us into prosperity. Thank you that the Holy Ghost leads us into peace. The peace that passes understanding. Thank you for victory on our jobs, Father. Thank you for victory in our relationships with other people. Thank you, Father, that the inward man is renewed day by day by the Word of God. What a privilege it is to live from our spirits, Lord. For our spirits and our souls to team up against our flesh to overcome anything and everything that comes against us. <clears throat> Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. Lord, I pray the prayers that Paul prayed for the church. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. The eyes of our spirit man would be enlightened or opened. That we would know what is the hope of your calling. And the riches of the inheritance of your... The riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. And the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. That you would strengthen us with might by your spirit in our inner man. That Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith, and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the depth and the breadth and the height, and that we would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Oh, Father, thank you for the equipment that we have, the supernatural equipment that we have. We are supernaturally equipped with your word, which can never fail, and we are supernaturally equipped with your spirit. Which guides us into victory. What a privilege it is, Father, to be led by the Spirit, to live a Spirit led life in Jesus' precious name. Amen. let's all stand together say this after me i am a spirit being and i am led of the holy ghost i know the voice of the lord i know the inward witness of the spirit and he always guides me and leads me into victory in jesus name amen amen well god bless you thank you for being with us we love you have a great day hope to see you this evening